Well, good evening. I'm delighted to bring God's Word to you tonight. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 1. You can find that on page 448 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Psalm 1, and I'll go ahead and read it now. Hear the Word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. O Lord God, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Are there any qualities or characteristics that are true of Christians only? and make them different from the rest of mankind? Or are we just like the rest, each embracing our own respective club of belonging? What distinguishes a Christian from a non-Christian? To ask the question a little bit more pointedly, what would bring you the greatest happiness and delight? What would bring you the greatest pain and misery? Blessedness and accursedness are the Bible's way of talking about happiness and woe. What calculation do you make about where and how to find blessing? I submit to you that your calculation reveals what you live for. Your delight determines your destiny. Here's the big idea I want us to believe. There are only two ways to live. God's way and man's way. There is the way of the righteous, and there is the way of the wicked. Choose the wicked way, and you will find death and judgment. If you follow God's way, you will find joy and life. And my prayer is that by God's grace, you will find God's way compellingly beautiful, and follow it forever. But how would the psalmist teach us to live? What does it mean to follow God's way? That's what I want us to see this evening. So if you're not there already, turn to Psalm 1. And I want us to meditate on three distinctions of the righteous from the wicked. And if you pursue these three distinctions, the Lord will bless you and prosper your ways for His glory. So we'll look at a distinct delight, a distinct durability, and a distinct destiny. First, we'll consider a distinct delight in verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We just completed a series here on Sunday evenings through the Beatitudes, which are Jesus' pronouncements of blessedness in Matthew chapter 5. And the word translated blessed in Psalm 1, verse 1, in the Greek Old Testament, is the same word 
for blessed uh, in the Greek New Testament of the Beatitudes. And so it's fitting that we follow up that series with a series of meditations on the first psalm. So Lord willing, we'll be meditating on this psalm one verse at a time over the next few months. And today we have the privilege of looking at it in an overview. Now this word blessed means happy in the rich, full sense of happiness. But now who is this happy person? The happy person rejects the wicked way. He rejects their shameful counsel. The advice of the wicked disgusts him. He rejects their sinful conduct. The acts of the wicked distress him. He rejects their scoffing company. The allegiance of the wicked dismays him. But where does his happiness lie then? Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord delights him. Now, he's not pictured here as a scribe who's pulling all-nighters studying Levitical case law. This word here for law is Torah, and the general meaning for Torah is instruction. In other words, law covers the whole range of God's instruction, not just the legal ordinances. He loves all of Scripture. Instead of finding his pleasures in the words or the ways of the wicked, he finds his pleasures in the words and the ways of God. Why? Two reasons. It's the law of the Lord because of its authoritative source. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. The Lord says in Isaiah 66 verse 2, I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. Spurgeon said, To me, the Bible is not God, but it is God's voice. I do not hear it without awe. There is no surer source for truth than the Bible. I exhort you to build your life on the authoritative, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. He delights in it because of its authoritative source. But he also delights in it because of its arresting sweetness. Think about it. His delight is in it, and he meditates on it day and night. He savors it because of what he sees in it. It captures his attention. He finds scripture so gripping, he cannot turn his thoughts off of it. Consider what the Bible says about itself. It is able to give us wisdom for salvation, keep us from sin, and equip us for every good work. It is able to give us life and faith. It is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. It always proves true. It is a shining lamp to light the way. It convicts of sin comforts in sorrow, and guides us to life everlasting. Indeed, it is the very oracles of the living God. And so the Bible is not meaningless words to you, but they are your life. Indeed, man lives through every word that comes from the mouth of God. It even commands us to seek its truths like silver, set our hearts to study it, think over what it says, renew our minds by it, obey its precepts, and proclaim its truth to others. And so when you experience the Word of God like that, it's so delightful, so satisfying, that it captures your mind day and night and weans you away from the counsel and path and seat of the world. When you experience the Word like that, you are blessed. You are happy. Two applications I want to draw from this section. Your habits affect your heart. Notice the progression in verse 1, right? Right? goes from walking 
to standing to sitting. Over time, a loose association becomes a loyal allegiance. But observe the blessed man's habit. He meditates on the law day and night. This isn't merely referring to quiet times in the morning and evening. This is an all-day, all-of-life mindfulness of God and His Word. But I do think we need to solidify those start and end times of our days with godly habits. When you wake up, what's the first thing that you grab? Your phone or your Bible? When you settle down at night, do you binge Netflix or do you meditate on Scripture? I'm not saying you can't own a phone or watch TV. But I am saying that God's word needs to be our go-to. If we delight in it, then we will dwell on it. Second application. Grow in godliness by deep meditation on the word of God. The one who enjoys the Lord's blessing is one who strives to avoid sin at all costs. Sin and joy cannot exist in the same heart at the same time. The two are mutually exclusive. Blessedness comes as we meditate on God's law. Meditation, of course, is not some sort of Eastern religion where you sit cross-legged with your feet up on your thighs in the lotus position. And thank God, because otherwise I would never find any joy in doing it. The Hebrew word for meditate means to mutter, to chew on the text and recite it under your breath. The idea here is one of constant pondering of God's law during the entire day. From sun up to sundown, you think about his statutes and you consider how to live them out. Meditation is not emptying your mind, but filling your mind with God and His truth. And that kind of meditation cannot help but produce the fruit of obedience in our lives. So meditate on God's Word. Know it like Timothy. He was acquainted with it from childhood. Study it like Ezra. He set his heart to study it, to do it, and to teach it. Memorize it like David. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Be soaked in the scriptures. You will not regret less time surfing the internet or watching TV. Resolve to be like John Bunyan, of whom it was said, Why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere and you will find that his blood is biblene. The very essence of the Bible flows through him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his soul is full of the word of God. Get the word of God into your bloodstream. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the scoffers shun the sacred text. We must have it or we die. J.I. Packer wrote, Do not all children of God long with the psalmist to know just as much about our Heavenly Father as we can learn? Is not indeed the fact that we have received a love for His truth in this way one proof that we shall have been born again? The first distinction of a Christian from a non-Christian is not more doctrine in the head or deeds of the hands or decisions of the will, but delight in the heart for the Lord and for His Word. Second, a distinct durability. Verse 3 and 4. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You see the use of two similes here. Like a tree, like chaff. 
The righteous are like a fruitful tree, and the wicked are like frail trath. Let's consider each in turn. First, the blessed righteous man. He has a distinct durability, like a tree. And each phrase here clarifies why he's durable. Planted by streams of water. This is the winning combination for an arborist. You got solid roots and you got sustained water supply. He won't fall over or dry up, but is full of life and vitality. He does not fear the drought because he's planted by an external stream. If we want a well-watered faith that will last through dry seasons of life, we need God's word in our hearts. Yields its fruit in its season. Jesus said, you shall recognize the righteous from the wicked by their fruits. In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Right? The righteous are marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. No matter the season, whether a season of suffering or, or comfort, the righteous bear fruit for God. But a tree does not grow unto itself. Trees beget trees. Those who love the Lord will grow strong in Him, and that growth will produce fruit, and that fruit will produce seed that grows into saplings that will eventually become enduring arbors in their own right. right? The righteous have a multi-generational durability of faithfulness and fruitfulness. Its leaf does not wither. This tree is not going to die out or burn out. Our persevering attachment to Christ and His Word distinguishes us from false professors. Jesus said in the last days that the love of many will grow cold. Without the nourishing effects of God's Word, we quickly become dry, withered branches. But by abiding in Jesus and by abiding in His Word, we bear much fruit and so prove to be His disciples. In all that He does, He prospers. The righteous man has the smile of God upon him. Perhaps the psalmist wants us to think of Joseph, of whom the scriptures say, the Lord made everything that he did successful. The prayer of Psalm 90, establish the work of our hands, proves true for the righteous. So the blessing, the happiness referred to in verse 1, is a life that is nourishing and fruitful for others, a life that is deeply durable in the face of drought, and a life whose labor is not in vain, but succeeds in God's good purposes into eternity. Now contrast that with verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. They walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the pathway with sinners, sit in the seat of the scoffers. Their delight is not in the law of the Lord, but they heap scorn on anyone who follows it. They do not meditate on God's word day and night, but suppress it, reject it, distort it, ignore it. They are not like a well-watered tree bringing forth seasonable fruit and covered with green foliage. And whatsoever they do shall in the end work to their shame and their overthrow. A sad and utter defeat of all their plans awaits the ungodly. And that leads us to our third point, a distinct destiny. Look with me at verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, 
but the way of the wicked will perish. This is where the two ways lead. Two alternatives of ultimate seriousness. You can either be among the righteous, or you can be among the wicked. These are the only two categories of human beings, and everybody belongs to one or the other. And along with these two alternative kinds of persons, the psalmist warns of two alternative destinies in this life and in the day of judgment. If you are wicked, your way will end in destruction, in ruin. If you are righteous, your way will be known and attended and protected by God even unto glory. For the wicked, chaff-like ending in destruction. For the righteous, tree-like and ending in the glorious congregation of the righteous. Nothing less than eternal joy in heaven or eternal punishment in hell is at stake. And here's how Article 18 of our Statement of Faith on the Righteous and the Wicked puts it. We believe that there is a radical and essential difference between the righteous and the wicked. That such only as through faith are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and sanctified by the Spirit of our God are truly righteous in His esteem. While all such as continue in impenitence and unbelief are in His sight wicked and under the curse. And this distinction holds among men both in and after death. Now you may be asking, okay, I get it. The righteous have a distinct delight, a distinct durability, and a distinct destiny. But don't the Psalms later say, there is none righteous? No, not even one? So how do I become one of the righteous? It seems impossible. And the answer is there in our statement of faith, and more importantly, it's in our text. Did you catch it? Only those who are justified through faith in the name of the Lord Jesus and sanctified by the Spirit of our God are truly righteous in His esteem. The righteous are declared righteous and made righteous by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1. You see, the man who is truly blessed is the man who does not walk in the ways of the wicked even once. Certainly, this psalm depicts an ideal, for we, we will not be sinless this side of glory. But consider Jesus. He had a distinct delight. When Jesus came into the world, he said, I have come to do your will. He perfectly obeyed the law. He ate and drank with the, in the company of sinners and never once desired to join them in their sin. He had a distinct durability. Astonished crowds said of him, He has done all things well. In his darkest season of suffering, he did not wither at all, but prayed to his Father, Not my will, but yours be done. His ministry bears fruit even today. Every Sunday we gather to worship him and proclaim his grace, as do the saints throughout the world and throughout the ages. He is by no means a forgotten celebrity of ancient times, but remains the most important human to ever live. And he had a distinct destiny. Through his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation as the Lord of all, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. On the last day, Jesus will separate the righteous from the wicked and assign each person to their eternal destiny. Those who scoffed at his will and they walked in their own way, they will perish in that way. 
and his wrath will be quickly kindled against him. He will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. But all those who entered through the narrow way, who kissed the Son and took refuge in Him, trusting in Him alone for the forgiveness of sins and right standing with God, they will have the hope of eternal life. They will enter into the joy of their Master and be known, loved, and blessed forevermore. Friends, the way of happiness and the way of salvation are not two ways. They are one and the same way. The person who wants things his own way and refuses to serve Christ will never be truly happy. But the one who serves Christ has the promise of both lives. They are happy on earth and will be happier still in heaven. There are only two ways to live. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Choose the wicked way and you will find death and judgment. Follow God's way and you'll find joy and life. My prayer is that by God's grace, you will find God's way, the Lord Jesus himself, compellingly beautiful, and follow him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word which so clearly teaches the way to live. May we turn from the wicked way and delight in your word and in your son. Would you cause us to bear fruit for your glory and for our joy? In Jesus' name, amen.